wieder Platz nehmen könnten. Wir würden jetzt anfangen und ähm, Charles Moore würde die Introduction machen und das können wir jetzt hier erstmal moderieren.
For example, if you ask me who is the next president of Syria, I can tell you more or less with some certainty, and I also can more or less tell you what is the margin of victory that you will have. Hafez al-Assad or Bashar al-Assad, the same can go for, for the Egyptian president and so on. When you come to Iran, if you ask me who is the next president of Iran three months before the elections, honestly, I don't know. Because they have been, they surprised us twice, they may surprise us again. So it doesn't mean that Iran is democracy, that you cannot predict the results. It means that it has very strange political system that many things can happen and influence into the election uh, 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 process. So if, if stability of the regime is the yardstick, the Iranian regime is, has been successful. So far, now. But you know, revolutions don't come to this world simply to replace one government with another. Especially when many when there is an ideological movement coming to power, they want to prove that their ideology is right, that their ideology contains the remedy to the malaise of society. They want to prove that their slogan, Islam is the solution, is right, is in fact Islam is the solution. Thirty years after the revolution, I can say that if the aim of the revolution was to improve the life of Iranian people and satisfy them in two major aims of Iran over the last hundred years, welfare and freedom, situation today is not much better than 30 years ago. In this sense, there is a long way to go to satisfy the needs of the people of Iran. I, can, I want briefly to point to three issues that I think we use the term Islamic in very uh, uh, different ways. We call the Islamic Revolution, Islamic Revolution, Islamic Republic, Islamic Terrorism, everything today is Islamic. And then I, my point is that if you really want to understand the Iranian Revolution, if you call the Islamic Revolution as a religious movement, you miss something in the essence of this movement. Hamas, Hezbollah, uh, Iran, Iranian Revolution, FIS, they are not very or they are not religious movement in the narrow meaning of the word religion in Western culture. The Iranian Revolution was social, economic, political, cultural, anti-imperialist. People joined Ayatollah Khomeini because life was miserable and they wished to improve the life of themselves or at least of their children. The result of the revolution was the creation of Islamic Republic. But in the revolution there have been people who have been communist, liberal, professors of Tehran. Tehran University, other universities. The point that I'm trying to make is that the people who joined Ayatollah Khomeini did not join the, the movement simply to go back to Islam. They wanted to go back to Islam as a tool to remedy the problems, to cure the problems of society. And if this was the goal of the revolution, again, it has not been yet achieved. Then we call the revolution Islamic in its ideology. Where is the Islamic ideology and what is Islamic ideology? Well, of course there is one Islamic ideology, that's the uh, Quran, the, the Islam, the religion that I, uh, the Prophet Muhammad brought uh, in the 7th century. But we don't live today as Jews, as Judaism used to be 3,000 years ago, and, and Christians today do not practice Christianity as it used to be 2,000 years ago. And why should we think that Islam today should be exactly as it used to be in the 7th century? 
We live today according to our interpretation of Islam, and interpretation of religion changed from generation to generation. And there are different interpretations of Islam. Khomeini just took the most extremist interpretation, brought it to center, brought it to power, and it's still in power after 30 years. Just to give you an example, when Khomeini came to power in 79, the highest ranking Ayatollah in Iran, Ayatollah Sharia was forced to go into house arrest until he passed away seven years later. The Ayatollah that Khomeini picked up to be his successor after his death, Ayatollah Murtazari, today does not have the freedom to preach his students. The most leading cleric in, in, in Iraq, Shia in Iraq, Ayatollah Sistani, who is of Iranian origin, doesn't have the freedom, or doesn't agree with Ayatollah Khomeini or Khamenei or, or nothing. It means that even within the Shia world, within the revolutionary movement, there are different, different interpretations. And to quote a leading Iranian intellectual, Abdel Karim Sarouj, he said that there is no one interpretation to Islam. There is no one interpretation that is better than the other. There is no final interpretation of Islam. And in a very courageous way, he added, there can be no official interpretation of Islam. Not even an Islamic republic can tell you that my understanding of faith Islam is better than your understanding. This runs against the essence of Islam. And I think we should bear in mind that there are different interpretations. And I would say uh, that not all Muslims are fundamentalists, not all fundamentalists are terrorists, and within, within the Iranian political system today, there are different attitudes, even within the highest ranking militants. And the third question is to what degree the policy of Iran today is faithful to the dogma with which Khomeini came to power 30 years ago. And again, what happened in Iran is not uh, different from what happens to any ideological movement or any political movement. There is a huge difference between what politicians do after election and what they promise before elections. You can see in almost every country, almost every place. In opposition, you say whatever you wish to do, even if you are sincere. When you are in power, you can do only what you can do. And when our prime, former prime minister was accused of uh, engaging in unilateral uh, disengagement from Gaza Strip against all his election promises, he said in his military uh, language, he said, what you see from here, from the chair of the prime minister, you don't see from the chair of the opposition. Then the weak authority comes responsibility. And when you are in power, you have to be more pragmatic. And Iranian <coughs> Islamic Republic has been to a degree pragmatic. However, pragmatism does not mean moderation. Pragmatism means that you just calculate the price you have to pay, but sometimes you calculate and you decide that you want to pay the price. Having said this, I would say that there are in Iran, inside Iran, from the day, first day of the revolution, there are different attitudes what the policy should be. There are different attitudes. What is the main goal of the revolution? Broadly speaking, there is a group that thinks that the most important thing is social justice. And there is another group that thinks that the most important thing is political justice, political freedom. Khatami happened to be the former president, that the most important thing is freedom. Khomeini, Ahmadinejad, belonged to another school, believed that the most important thing is welfare, is uh, equality in society. 
And there are different political colors and attitudes within the political system. And I would say that there are even sincere and uh, <coughs> disagreements or serious disagreements between different groups in Iran. There are wonderful things that are happening in Iranian civil society. But there is a lot that can be said about the cinema industry, the political, the newspapers in Iran, the book publications in Iran, the women organization of, of Iran, they are wonderful. And there is even the degree of openness in Iranian newspapers. The problem is that all these reformist, uh, liberal, intellectuals, they don't have any say in dictating Iranian policy. Policy in Iran is exclusively in the hands of the more uh, radicals, extremists, uh, conservatives, name them as nation. And the more radical element in Iran have four major advantages. First, they speak in the name of God. Well, you know, in the Middle East, if you wake up in the morning and know exactly what God wants, as though you had had long conversation with him over the phone or personally last night, that carries the weight. Also among some Jews, that they claim to know exactly what God wants. So if they have God on their side, it's good. It's wonderful. Now, if God is not enough, God forbid, because God should be enough. But if he's not enough, they have the army. So if you're a revolution, you have God on one side, the military revolution and God on the other side, you are safe. On the top of it, they have the determination to fight for their power. When there was a revolution against the Shah, he took his wife and four children and left the country. The clerics in Iran don't have anywhere to live to. They will stay there and struggle and suppress the people. And they've shown how suppressive they can be. And as they say in Persia, that nothing succeeds like suppress. And they know the art of suppressing. And I quote, quote you the uh, mentor of, uh, of uh, Ahmadinejad, who said, uh, that whoever thinks that Islam is a religion of mercy does not understand Islam at all. Islam dictates to us to take a sharp sword and cut the heads of the people who are against us. This is Ayatollah Misbah Yazdi, the mentor, or said to be the mentor of Ahmadinejad. In the final power point, the point of power that they had, and there is no opposition. There are oppositions, probably also in Berlin, against the Shah, but they fight each other more than they fight the regime in Tehran. And with this kind of opposition, you cannot solve the problem, and you cannot topple the regime in Iran from Paris, or Berlin, or, or Los Angeles. The next leader of the Iranian revolution will not come like Khomeini, which will parts from Paris. It will emerge from itself. Why Ahmadinejad is so radical? First, because he thinks he believes in what he says. Because the, his position, Iran's position in the Middle East is now strengthened with the weakening of the Arab world, with the power that Shiite Islam is gaining, with the price of oil going up, with the services that Iran received from its greatest enemy, the United States. If you find a country in the world that has done the greatest services to Iranian national interest is the United States. They removed the Taliban, the enemy number two of Iran, and they moved uh, uh, Iraq, Saddam, Saddam Hussein, the enemy number one. But the question in Iran is not why the Iranian, why 
He says what he says. The question is why he is being allowed to say these things. Because in Iran, the president is not the head of the state. The head of the state is Supreme Leader Khamenei. Well, Khamenei probably shares some of his views. And also, I would say, I was thinking, if I was Khamenei, was it good for me or bad to have Ahmadinejad? And I came to the conclusion that it's good for Khamenei. For a simple reason. Ahmadinejad, with his extremism, has painted all Iranian radical uh, as, uh, with rosy pictures, with rosy uh, colors. He made all radicals look good. Compared to Ahmadinejad, everyone is more like and today we speak about all these leaders of Iran, everyone is, is moderate. Well, of course, they are moderate only compared to Ahmadinejad. It's good for the system that Ahmadinejad, his ultra radicalism, have made all other radicals look, uh, look good. What is the Israeli concern? And I know that I'm speaking with headlines. First, I think the combination of nuclear weapons and radical ideology like the Iranian has today is something that Israel cannot tolerate. Second, Iran is not far away enemy as many people think. It's around the borders of Israel. <coughs> Iran is present in the Hezbollah. Iran is present in the Islamic Jihad in the Gulf, in the West Bank. And Iran is in Gaza Strip. Iran is also against any attempt to have peace in the Middle East. That it always together, Iran also Islamized the Arab-Israeli country. Now, what is the way out of this Iranian challenge? Let me begin with a non-solution. Uh, the non-solution is the Israeli solution. Many people refer to Israel and say, Israel will do the job. Israel should attack Iran. Do me a favor, forget about it. Why should Israel do all these things? Iran is a challenge, Iran is a threat to all the Middle East, to Saudi Arabia, to Egypt, to Jordan, and to the West. The enemy of Ahmadinejad is not Israel. The enemy of Ahmadinejad is Western country. So why should you expect Israel to do the job? And unfortunately, some of our politicians fall into this trap and make all kinds of unnecessary statements. I think that the best thing that our politicians should do with the government is to prepare the country to meet the challenge and shut up and not speak to the media publicly about Iran. We don't have to make them greater enemy, and we don't make want to give them credit more than they deserve. I can tell you, Iran cannot destruct the state of Israel. We did not found this country for it to be destructed by the Ayatollahs of Iran. And I think that people speak, speak about existential threat only do favor to the Iranians and making them greater heroes than they already are. So what are the solutions? One is American-led solution. Well, America is the, the big boss of the world. And they can do it in two ways, dialogue and pressure. And I was, I support the dialogue, and I was blamed and accused for this in Israel a long time ago, much before Obama became candidate to the presidency. Not because I believe the dialogue can solve the problem. I don't think that side dialogue with would convince the Iranians to stop their nuclear program. But you can't do anything serious against Iran if you don't start with dialogue. Dialogue should be a signal to Iranian people and to the American people that you come to the table with good faith in trying to solve the problem. 
Iranians don't like dialogue. And many people think that Iran is thrilled and happy with dialogue. They don't like the dialogue. They achieve whatever they wish without dialogue. Who stopped them in this program? Who stopped them? The German, the European? Who, is, who stopped them? No one stopped them. So why did they dialogue? And they say in Persian, the dialogue, this, this carrot stick, they say the carrot is poisoned. If we eat this carrot, it, is, it has difficulties because Obama did not come all the way to have dialogue with Iran just to fail in his dialogue. He is sincere, he wants results. If there is no result, there is a phase two. And Iranians are, 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 are scared for this dialogue. What can you do with Europe? I think pressure helps. As I said, Iran is pragmatic, pressure would help. Economic pressure, other pressure. But I, my, my, my expectation from people in Germany is mostly on moral level, pressure Iran on human rights. There is so much to be done. And I think Europe has a, has a moral muscles and moral obligation. And on the issue of Iran, I didn't see so far. I'm glad that you pressure in Israel on human rights. Do me the favor, do the something with Iran. They deserve even greater criticism than my country is. The second uh, point is that I said there is no Iranian, Israel-made solution to, to Iranian challenge, but there is, I would say, Middle Eastern uh, uh, solution. It is that the Arab countries, the moderate Arab countries and Israel together would solve the problem in the Middle East. Not because of Iranians, but because of ourselves. But I think if there is any way that we can solve the problem or, or we can weaken Iran is to solve our problems between us and the Palestinians, between us and the Syrians. And the final point here is that the best way and the most logical way to change uh, the policy of Iran is that the people of Iran who brought Ayatollah Khomeini to power ultimately would raise and change the policy of Iran. They are capable of doing so. Iran is a country in which people have been very influential in determining their policy. Iran is the only country in the Middle East with a constitutional revolution in 1906. Iran is the only country in the Middle East and one of the few in the world that had two big revolutions in one century, the 20th century. The people of Iran who brought Ayatollah Khomeini ultimately will have to change the policy of this regime or to change the regime. The problem is that if there are two tracks, two, sorry, two trains which have left the terminal in Iran, one train is carrying a message of nuclear capabilities and the other is carrying the message of social change. Unfortunately, the train with nuclear weapon is driving much faster than the social process that ultimately, that always is slow and always unpredictable. So I am not here with any optimistic conclusion to you. I think that the Iranians are determined to go with a nuclear uh, program. And unfortunately, I don't see any force in the world being capable of to stop them at this stage until, unless the people will wake up and realize the threat not only for Israel but for the entire free world with a country like Iran with such a radical ideology going nuclear.
shortly after the end of the Second World War, both in the West uh, and in the Muslim uh, Middle East, uh, independently of each uh, other. But in recent years, uh, it has become much more prevalent in Middle Eastern uh, societies than in any other part of the world. And uh, moreover, Iran is the only country in the world whose entire leadership, starting from Supreme Leader Khamenei to most other uh, members of the political elite, who profess Holocaust denial as a state policy and state ideology. Uh, everyone speaks about Ahmadinejad and Holocaust denial, but Ahmadinejad uh, is simply, his statements are simply an acceleration of other statements made by other Iranian leaders before. Uh, it is not his personal obsession, but it is simply a culmination of a much deeper uh, process. Now, uh, because Ahmadinejad seeks to restore the regime's uh, revolutionary goals and ideas that in his mind has weakened in recent years and to advance Iran's popularity among uh, uh, other Middle Eastern countries, he has chosen anti-Zionism and uh, in a sense an Holocaust denial as two principal um, strategies of his policy. Now, Holocaust denial in Iran is a manifestation of one manifestation of the broader fusion between uh, vehement Iran's vehement anti-Zionist position, also traditional anti-Jewish uh, themes uh, in Iranian uh, national uh, and culture and religious uh, culture. Now we have to remember the Second World War uh, is not perceived in Iranian uh, collective memory as a war between, let's say, a better side and uh, some which is absolutely evil. Uh, uh, many uh, Iranians or Middle Easterners uh, associate the war with humiliation and hardships. Uh, which uh, were caused by the joint British and Soviet occupation of Iran, uh, rather than with the worldwide struggle against Nazism. Now, while leftist and liberal Iranians abhorred Nazi Germany, uh, some groups uh, admired Nazi Germany because of the presumed uh, common Aryan roots between Iranian and Germans, and out of joint opposition to uh, the Western powers. While most Iranians were oblivious to the plight of the Jews during the war, uh, many Iranians uh, shared after the war the anger of the Arabs over the solution of the Jewish problem in the midst of the, uh, of the Muslim world at what they perceived to be the expense of the Palestinians. The immediate context of the Holocaust for Middle Easterners, including Iranians, had been the establishment of the State of Israel in the midst of the uh, Arab world and, its, and Israeli attempts uh, to gain legitimacy. Therefore, what we can see in the uh, Middle East, the development of uh, uh, the following attitudes toward the Holocaust in the Muslim Middle East, which is both inspired uh, by the West, but also came from originally from the Middle East, uh, and which range along a wide spect spectrum from justification of the Holocaust on the one hand, uh, through false allegation of cooperation between Zionism and Nazism and the extermination of the Jews, uh, equation between Nazism and, and Zionism, and finally, the most common theme of denial of the Holocaust. Unlike the West, preoccupation with Holocaust denial is not confined to uh, right-wing margins of uh, society, but is shared by broad uh, political and cultural elites. The manifestation of, of denial uh, in the Middle East, uh, uh, in, the mid in the Middle East Holocaust discourse, was largely a mirror image of the growing interest of, in the Holocaust in the West. That is, the more the West became interested in the Holocaust, 
And the more the Holocaust became important, you could say even in modern European culture, modern Western culture, the greater desire or urge to deny it in the Middle East and also uh, in Iran. Uh, now, the Iranian Holocaust discourse dealt very little, if at all, with the events of the Holocaust itself. Uh, Iranian writers were not interested in the processes that led uh, the Nazi leadership to exterminate the Jews and uh, hardly ever referred to the actual acts of murder. Uh, they were totally uninterested in the experience of the Jews in the ghettos or in the camps, uh, in the way uh, the Jews tried to cope with their uh, situation or in the inhuman, insoluble dilemmas which Jews faced uh, during the war period. Rather, uh, the Iranian Holocaust discourse focused on the political implications uh, of the Holocaust on the Arab-Israeli conflict, on what they perceived to be uh, Israel instrumentalization of the Holocaust and on, on its significations on the status of Israel and Zionism. Now, as I said, Holocaust denial is the most uh, prevalent theme in Middle Eastern Holocaust uh, discourse, and it was articulated in several ways, uh, and the most important which are, to say, total denial, that is, uh, the denial that anything happened to the Jews in, in the war, uh, or its depiction of as a complete Jewish Zionist uh, hoax uh, designed to extort money and political uh, support from Germany and uh, from uh, Europe, uh, another uh, view would be the acknowledgement the death of the death of some Jews, few hundreds, few thousands, maybe at least at the most 50, 60,000 Jews uh, in the war, coupled with the allegation, allegation that it was actually part of the overall loss of human of civilian life uh, during the war. Uh, because of disease, cold, hunger, uh, and so on. Uh, while rejecting or ignoring Nazi policy of uh, targeting the Jews uh, as such. Another uh, way would be to minimize the number of Jews who, who uh, perished in the, in the war, in order to deprive the Holocaust of its meaning as a genocide. Uh, sometimes there are people who acknowledge that the Nazis, what they call, persecuted the Jews, but they say this was nothing more uh, different than what the Nazis did to the French, to the Dutch, to the uh, other, other peoples uh, in uh, Europe. Now, uh, denying in the Iran uh, political and intellectual debate aimed primarily, not again, not at the Holocaust, but at destroying or demolishing the legitimacy of Israel and Zionism. Uh, and again, you can see the instrumentalist uh, motivation of the Holocaust denial and the fact that sometimes the same people who deny the Holocaust either justify what, what Hitler did to the Jews or accuse the Zionists of cooperating with Hitler in killing the Jews while denying that he did it. Uh, now, the, the idea behind denial is that since Zionism, in their view, lacks any moral or historical uh, legitimacy, they explain the fact that, they, that uh, nations after the Second World War supported Zionism because of the guilt they felt over the Holocaust. Therefore, if we will be able to demolish the so-called myth of the Holocaust, then we would deprive Israel of any legitimacy, the world will cease to support Israel, and then the destruction of Israel would be easier. And these are statements that are made explicitly by Iranian and sometimes by Arab intellectuals who deny the Holocaust. Now, in addition, uh, many of the Holocaust deniers sought to present both Israel and the Jews uh, as a this sort of unscrupulous uh, group 
that would resort to any means in order to extort money from the West and political uh, support. Thus, for instance, Iran's uh, Supreme Leader, Tolaf uh, Khamenei, stated during a solidarity conference with the Palestinian struggle held in April 2001 that, and I quote, the Zionist and exaggerated Nazi crimes against European Jewry in order to solicit international support for the establishment of the Zionist entity in 1948. And he says there is no evidence that, uh, oh, sorry, he says that there is even evidence that a large number of non Jewish uh, hooligans were pushed by the Europeans to come to Palestine or to serve the Zionist state. And these are the so called the, the Jewish refugees from Europe. In fact, we're not Jews and we're not refugees. Uh, the Iranian press uh, attributed the Holocaust myth in, to a Zionist American alliance which exploited the common goals of the struggle against the Nazis uh, that, during the war uh, for malevolent uh, political goals of each party. Uh, the, false, the false slogan of the murder of the Jews again was designed, was designed by Israel to get the support, while the US wanted to blame the Germans for things which they didn't do in order to hide its own real crimes in the war. That is, the real criminal in the Second World War was not Nazi Germany, but the US, and therefore the Americans invented uh, this uh, myth of the Holocaust. Uh, now, you have, to, you have to remember the Iran Holocaust denial is not a consequence of, of ignorance of historical facts. The great effort that deniers make in order to provide pseudo-scientific uh, basis to their demands, to their claims, reflect a certain awareness of the enormity of the evidence, historical evidence, of the uh, occurrence of the Holocaust. In addition, the overemphasis they give to every bit of information or statement by European Holocaust deniers show that this, that the, uh, this, their selective perception, that is, they take only what would serve their purposes while ignoring the vast amount of evidence that would contradict their, their uh, stated position uh, on the Holocaust. It's also a, a manifestation of a broader theme of, you can say, of a selective bullying from the West. That is, the same people who would attack Western culture in general will not be uh, shy to borrow certain elements from the same West if those uh, points serve their own political uh, uh, cause. But the problem is that because of this selective reading of Western evidence, the general Iranian public is not really aware of what happened in the world. That is, the general Iranian public is only exposed to the uh, allegations of denial, but is to totally ignorant of the other side of the story uh, of what happened uh, during uh, the war. Now, Iran is, was the only country in the world that voted against the UN Resolution uh, 61-255, uh, which uh, concerned the Holocaust denial. Uh, this resolution was passed uh, in, uh, in the International Holocaust Day on January 26, 2007. Uh, 104 states voted for it. Iran was the only country who voted against it. And uh, following the UN vote, uh, Hossein Shariat Madari, the editor of Kaihan, Kaihan is the newspaper, official newspaper published by the office of Khamenei, the Supreme Leader, and uh, Shariat Madari denounced the UN uh, vote as preparing the UN, UN's corpse.
for burial in the graveyard of history because it was opposed to the most basic uh, recognized principles of human rights. That is, if you vote against Holocaust denial, then you're against human rights, according to the Iranian interpretation. And again, he, he repeated the Iranian position that the Holocaust was a myth and a contrived story which has been refuted by many well-known Europeans and American historians. Iran went further than any Arab country in hosting and officially endorsing Western Holocaust deniers who faced difficulties in their home country. For one such figure was Ahmad Rami, a Moroccan who established a radio station in Sweden that disseminated uh, Holocaust denial. He was uh, put on trial in Sweden, uh, but uh, when he visited Iran, he was received by many senior leaders. Uh, other such people were the uh, Swiss neo-Nazi activist uh, Jürgen Graf, uh, the Austrian uh, Wolfgang Fröhlich, and the most important figure was uh, the French uh, former communist who turned the Muslim, uh, Roger Garoudi, who was, uh, published a book on Holocaust denial, and when he was put on trial, visited Iran, and again was received by all senior Iranian leaders, uh, was given money to help him pay the fine, uh, and was hailed by various Iranian civil organizations as a, a fighter for freedom, freedom of speech, and uh, so on. He was sometimes equated with Galileo Galilei. Just as Galileo Galileo was persecuted by the Inquisition, so is uh, Garoudi uh, persecuted by the Zionist, uh, capitalist, uh, uh, oppressive uh, press. Uh, <clears throat> now, again, uh, Ahmadinejad, you can say, went uh, much further than any other uh, Iranian politician, but as I said, he's not alone. And uh, under his leadership, the, the, the escalation is an attempt to give Holocaust denial a so-called pseudo-scientific cover in Iran. We can see two phenomena. One is that we have uh, the Iranian academics, people with university degrees who teach at the Iranian universities who appear on various TV programs and explain in a sort of scientific tone uh, that the Holocaust was, was a myth on the one hand, but at the same time, the same West hides real Jewish crimes, for instance, using the blood of Christian babies for ritual purposes. Or uh, we have uh, Ahmad Ramin, who was the uh, uh, special advisor to Ahmadinejad, who was the uh, organizer of the Holocaust Denial Conference, who again uh, explained that uh, the Holocaust was both invented by, sometimes by Britain and Germany and the US, in order to destroy uh, German recovery after the war, sometimes by the US in order to hide its own crimes, and sometimes as a British-American conspiracy actually against the Jews. Uh, they wanted to keep the Jews out of Europe, they wanted to push the Jews to Palestine so that in Palestine the Jews would be destroyed. And uh, yet the same, same four contradictory explanations made at the same time. Also, by the way, Ramin explained that Hitler himself was Jewish. Hitler, in fact, was the son of a Jewish prostitute, and he uh, hid his Jewish identity until his age of 40, and therefore Hitler had this, you can say, ambivalent attitude toward Jews. On the one hand, he supported them, and this is why Nazis and Zionists cooperated against each other, but at the same time he hated them, and therefore he destroyed them. Uh, uh, since I'm uh, running out of time, let me say one, uh, uh, one, one more point. Similarly to uh, Arab Holocaust deniers, uh, Iran Holocaust deniers can sometimes use, as I say, contradictory uh, uh, arguments. As I said, uh, there was no Holocaust, 
but the, but the Jews deserved it. To give you again one example, and is a statement by Tolar of San Janir, the number two man in the Iran regime, who uh, several months ago, in a Friday sermon broadcasted on Iranian TV, explained that uh, at the end of the 19th century, Zionist parties actually dominated all European countries. All European governments were totally, were extremely weak or unable to cope with this Zionist uh, strangling of European societies. And therefore, he said, Hitler had no choice but to act against the Jews in order to liberate Germany and Europe from this Zionist control. Here, by the way, you can see how anti-Zionism uh, anti and anti-Semitism are fused together by Holocaust denial. Now, to conclude, uh, my points, Holocaust denial is supposedly intended or designed against Israel, against Zionism, but in fact it is also contains anti-Semitism, because by presenting the Holocaust as a myth, as a lie, and by blaming the Jews for inventing the, the Holocaust lie, denies two things. First of all, they deny the Jews uh, their, their identity or as victims. Secondly, they present the Jews as this bunch of totally unscrupulous people who would go to any distance to invent the most horrible lies in order to get money uh, or to extort money for the support uh, uh, from other countries. And secondly, by equating the Jews with the Nazis, again, Holocaust uh, uh, deniers deny uh, the identity of Jews as victims, and you can say even uh, humiliate them by equating them with the greatest uh, torments, uh, tormentors. Now, the, the point I want to make is that Holocaust denial is very much intended as a means, as I said, to demolish the legitimacy of Zionism and to pave the way for the future elimination of Israel. Now, it may seem rhetoric today, you know too often that in the 20th century, and rhetoric sometimes led to terrible deeds.
the past 200 years as a result of what they call either a Western Jewish conspiracy, which is the term for the used, or a Crusader's Jewish conspiracy, which is what Ben Laden would use. Like, like, they see the class of Islam as the result of a conspiracy against Islam. And in this conspiracy, Jews played a prominent role. And therefore, for, for, uh, it, it does play an important role in their, how they view their problem or they view their situation. Now, uh, one thing. Secondly, you can argue that uh, uh, <clears throat> anti-Zionism for them, you can say Israel, is a daily manifestation of the curse of Islam. Let me give an example. For instance, Khomeini, Khomeini used to say that had it not been for us Muslims, I mean, if we had not abandoned Islam, if we had not adopted the corrupt Western ways, then a bunch of Jewish thieves would not have been able to take Palestine. That is, Israel is a daily manifestation of our failures of Muslims to cope with the modern world, of our, of our failures of Muslims, Muslims to adhere to true Islam. And therefore, its existence is a daily reminder of our failures. In this sense, it is important. Now, again, Holocaust denial is one element in this regard. I want to, with your permission to add something here, because it's not on the Holocaust denial, but the whole pattern of Iranian policy. And I'm very much concerned with this issue of, uh, if there is one thing that really makes me angry about the Iranian policy, is this denial of Holocaust. They don't know much about it, and they brainwashing the young generation of people uh, that uh, the Holocaust was a myth. And they fall in love with this issue. The, the attention they put in the, the number of lectures and, 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 and television series being produced in Iran with much money invested in it on this Holocaust denial is unbelievable, more than any other country in the this is part of the pragmatism also. I think that for Ahmadinejad, and I fully agree with Dr. Wittler, Ahmadinejad did not really mean uh, to say much about him, but he fell in love with the reaction to his initial statement. He said something, and the entire world was so angry about it, and said, oh, wow, I had a point, go on. And he goes on and on and on. The same thing you said about Israel. For, 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 for the Iranians, is anti-Israeli policy is a tool to strengthen their own hold of power in Iran. I tell you very bluntly, if Israel was not in existence today, it was good for the Iranian regime to establish the Jewish state of Israel. We, they attack us for, to divert public opinion from their misery at home, difficulties at home, they found a new uh, demo to, to, to criticize. And it's, it is typical to leaders in the Middle East. Let's take, for example, Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein invaded Iran in 1980, and he claimed that the way to Jerusalem goes to Tehran. His army was going the opposite way. But he said that the way to Jerusalem goes to Tehran. His flag to Jerusalem is much like his, anti his denial of Holocaust. It's been a flag to promote certain politicians. And Ahmadinejad has really upgraded himself <coughs> um, I want to ask the question again because I think that's a key question. You, you said something like it's a tool for the government and another point would be it is a central thing or a really central policy of the government. I think that is 
very much an important question if sometime they would have this nuclear bomb or not. That's what I think it's, it's a key question. Uh, well, uh, thank you for raising this issue. It's an opportunity to clarify. And I think that, uh, again, uh, my colleague here said that for some people it is not a tool. For some people it's really sincere ideological uh, belief. If you read Ayatollah Khomeini and many other Iranians, for them his obsession with Israel is is, is a very central, it's a very important point, pillar in their philosophy. But there is no contradiction between these and what I say that they are using it also as a tool. It's for them, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's like a, they found a nice toy, you know, the entire world is, is, is really so upset with every step in being coming from Iran. Uh, what you are trying to conclude from here, or to make, take one step farther, and say, well, as soon as Iran will have a nuclear uh, weapon, if they are going to use it or not, uh, I think it's, it's a, in a way it's a separate question. But I think that they, the question, my problem with this Iranian nuclear issue is, it's not whether or not they will use it. Of course, this is the main issue. But they may and may not. My point is that Iran should not be given the right to make such a decision. Why should I wait for them to make the decision to use or not to use? In 1991, we were sitting in committees in Israel and discussing whether or not Saddam Hussein will send missiles to attack Israel from Iran. Some said yes, some said no. He ultimately did. Nuclear weapon is something more serious. Finally, I'll say one word if you ask me. I usually don't make predictions, but in this case, if I'm wrong, I will not be alive to, to be faced with reality. I don't think that they really want to use it against Israel, and I don't think they will use it against Israel. <laughs> they are very smart and very pragmatic. They know what it takes. But again, a country with such an ideology, the decision is being made by one person should not, in my view, be given such toys to play with that it can be very dangerous, not only for Israel, but for the entire region and beyond the region. Um, a question to um, Mr. Minyashki. Um, it's about Mr. Obama. Mr. Minashri, do you believe that the situation for Israel has tightened or become more difficult while Mr. Obama is making so many friendly addresses to all the Arab countries? To Arab countries or to Iran? Yes, and talking with Syria yeah. and negotiations with Hamas as well. well uh, I tell you, I first warn you that my views are not representing the views of the state of Israel. Uh, it goes without saying in Israeli professors, but it still has to be mentioned. I, I think that, uh, no, I'm not afraid from statements coming from Obama. I was afraid from the situation that everything continued, no one did anything against Iran, and Iran continued with its nuclear program. I, I think that Obama, with, with 
issue of Iran. He is not going to uh, dialogue to fail. I think he will ask for results. And I think that that's why the Iranians are not happy with dialogue. They know that dialogue is also, at the end of the day, they have to say yes or no. And I'm waiting for this for a long time. Not that I believe the dialogue will solve the problem. I want to see where Iran stands. Stop playing games. Stop gaining time more and more. I am very pessimistic when it comes to this issue. Because I say that Obama is not there to be to face failure. But let's say there is a, there is a dialogue and, and it's failed. What will happen? What is the next step? There will be another round of dialogue. And another round of dialogue. In the meantime, Iran has nuclear weapons. That's, that's the concern that the art of diplomacy of the Iranians of gaining time. And with this uh, issue of dialogue. Dialogue should have started two years ago, five years ago, not now. Because we are now in the stage of pre-pre-dialogue. There is no yet even pre-dialogue. When they start with pre-dialogue, they have to decide where do we meet, what is the agenda, what level the meeting, where the flag on the table be, it will take months. And then if the Americans think that they can speak with the Iranians in dialogue, and the only issue would be the nuclear issue, forget about it. Iran is not going to have dialogue only on the nuclear issue. And the nuclear issue cannot be the first item of dialogue. So when the time for dialogue on nuclear issue would come, Iran already will have nuclear. So I think that, that's why I think that these circumstances call for immediate pressure. And I give you one example that pressure has, because it's relevant to Berlin. The first time that really I saw pressure uh, uh, really convincing the Iranians and making them change policy was in April 1997. A court in Berlin came with a verdict against the Iranian leaders being involved in the Mykonos restaurant uh, case. All European ambassadors returned their ambassadors, all European states returned their ambassadors from Iran, except for the Greek government. Mm -hmm. This was a big, a major signal to the Iranians, and in my view, to a degree, it helped Khatami to win election a month later. I think that's why I said that Europe should focus on human rights. Humans should focus what it's good at. Uh, I, I think economic sanctions can help, economic pressure can help, pressure on the banks can help, but at least on the moral issue that is so dear to you and you are so indebted to do something, here I expect Germany to take a lead on this issue. Thank you. Let me just say one thing about, uh, again, representing myself. Uh, there would be nothing wrong between uh, improving American relations with the Arab world, depending at what price. That is, if it means, in, in Hebrew, we use uh, two words which are similar but have totally different meanings. That is, reconciliation and appeasement. There is nothing wrong, even from an Israeli point of view, in fact, it would help if there would be reconciliation between the US and Iran would make Iran a more responsible state. But a dialogue that would lead to appeasement of Iran, 
That is, when dictators are given free hand to pursue their policies, that's what we, that would be very problematic. Uh, if American-Syrian dialogue would reduce the threat of war in the Middle East, that would be wonderful. If American-Syrian dialogue would mean that there would be a dialogue while Syria would continue to sustain Hamas, that is a problem. So the question is not the dialogue, but under what conditions the dialogue is, is carried out. So we have, we have time for two questions. So Matthias, and then there's the gentleman in the red shirt. Then... Well, just, um, just a tiny comment. Um, I think you are very much uh, right in saying they are very pragmatic, the leadership of the They are very smart in order to fulfill a very mad aim. And it takes a lot of effort for us to understand their irrationality, I think. And they named their conference on the Holocaust denial, Review of the Holocaust Global Mission. So what does it mean, Global Mission? Um, it's very important as to see that they hate reason, and they believe in the Quran like a three-year-old kid might believe in the Quran. So this is a part of their worldview, and so I think it's, it's necessary to connect, for example, the Holocaust denial and the Global Vision it, with a belief in the 12th command, it's necessary to connect this with their aim not only to fight the whole Western system, but also the whole Western historiography, which is part of the system. So they want to establish their own picture of history. And so I think it's a very central uh, and, 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 and very important point within the ideology of the Iranian leadership is a company. So we have time for the gentleman in the red, and then maybe can we ask, can I collect the two questions and then we'll come up here at the end of the stuff? Yeah, uh, you know about uh, these dates uh, in Haifa, in, in Israel there's a conference in Iran, uh, and uh, Sabine Schiffer is there from the so-called Institute for Ethnic uh, Media Advising. And I don't know, she was also at the conference in Berlin at the center of, uh, again, uh, for anti-Semitism uh, yeah, December. And uh, next time, after, after the Haifa conference, she's uh, in Hamburg at the Burschenschaft Corporation uh, Right wing, uh, she has her uh, uh, event there. And I just wanted to ask if you know that uh, now she is one expert in high on this conference from the Buserius uh, Institute. What is the problem then? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was invited um, to this conference. Yeah, the, the problem is that this, uh, I just uh, last week I checked the internet about this person and she uh, works with together a campaign against uh, sanctions against Iran on this website. She makes statements. She is in her whole and on every of uh, these uh, websites who are uh, Islamic Fernando's uh, and, uh, and now she's invited in this conference. That's a problem. I talked with Benjamin Weintal and all these others about her and the next time perhaps. Thank you. And the final question. Um, 
mean, we all know that there have been dialogues over the last 30, 10 or 20 years, all the time, even Bush did dialogues with the Iranian regime. And I just want to know if you're so convinced that this would help. I mean, what concrete, how concrete should this dialogue look like? I mean, what ne negotiations, what kind of contributions, what else has to be done? I mean, there has been done a lot. And I think the problem we have today is a problem that has been caused because of the dialogues that, have been, um, that we have been went through over the last 20 years. So I want to know from you what what is your suggestion, your concrete idea, how this dialogue has to be done in your, in your idea that it works? Uh, and, and another thing is that just um, the religious leader has announced a few weeks ago that he doesn't want a dialogue with Obama and he doesn't want one until he doesn't have the atom bomb. How do you want to have a dialogue with such a regime, a serious one? Uh, one word about this lady's today. The only responsibility that I can take for this conference in, uh, in Haifa is that the director of the center there was a former student of mine. So uh, why they invited A or B or C to make a different university, I don't know. But I can tell you we have sufficient enemies of Israel within Israeli academics. We don't need to be you had help from Germany for this. Unfortunately, <laughs> we, well, we have many of them, and you can see every day, and it's really disturbing. But what can we do? You know, it's the academic world, people have the freedom to speak up. Uh, but at the, at the same conference, there is uh, another guest from Germany, Ayatollah uh, He is kind of, uh, coming there, so it's, they may balance each other. Uh, I never invited either one of them or the other to a conference at Tel University. We have a big conference in May for 30 years to the Iranian Revolution, and I think that the guests that we have and Dr. Lutman is organizing the conference are more uh, serious scholars. But I don't really know the moment, I know I, I can understand your uh, disappointment. Now, the, uh, the question that the, the lady there asked, and, uh, I, 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 again, I'm very glad that you raised this question. Because I myself not uh, sure what is the right policy towards Iran. But you say that there was uh, there was dialogue before. You are right. Many Europeans tried to have what they called uh, critical dialogue, which was neither critical nor dialogue. And the Iranians are referring today is they say what is critical dialogue is that. Iranian diplomats sit with European diplomats, and both of them criticize the United States. <laughs> so the critical dialogue was not really serious. Uh, the dialogue that I have in mind is based on, I tell you, the slogan of the Mossad says, you should conduct your wars cunningly, shrewdly. And I think we have to be shrewd and cunning while dealing with Iranian politicians, which are very shrewd politicians. A combination of bazaar merchant and cleric makes a good politician. We have some of them in Jerusalem, so I can tell you it with some certainty. When Israel won the war in 67, 
Hassanin Haikar, who was very close, the editor of Al Ahram newspaper, was very close to, to President Nasser. And he said that while we, the Arabs, were playing, were playing Benkabon, Sheshbesh, the Israelis were playing chase. Unfortunately, the situation has changed. The Iranians are playing chess and we are playing Beckhamon, praying for God, for, for love. Why I'm saying so? I don't believe the dialogue would solve the problem. But I need the dialogue as a prelude to pressure Iran heavily and to show to the Iranian people that their government failed to stand in the task. I want to send this message to the American people. American people today don't have the stomach to go to another round of war. Because after what happened in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And I need to send this message. I think that we have still time to go into dialogue. And provided at the end of the day, if dialogue would not bring solution, the world will be unified to take action against Iraq. So I, maybe what I say is a bit, uh, I don't know, confused, but I think that what I'm calling for is a more sophisticated policy towards Iran and mainly sending the signal to the people of Iran to, because in them there is a hope for changing in the country. Thank you. So on that note, we'll end this session, but uh, Robin wanted to have a final few remarks. Um, yeah, I wanted to thank you to the uh, mayor that you came here. Many thanks to you, also to Charles, um, and yeah, for this nice um, cooperation and also with you, David. And yeah, I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> There will be a, not a demonstration, but more uh, um, on yeah, the um, series, um, um, day of uh, year of Islamic Republic, um, beginning at 5 o'clock p.m. And I also have been asked um, yeah, to announce um, there is a campaign called Stop the Bomb can find the, um, yeah, the papers over there um, where you also can find different information on um, yeah, German policy and German-Iranian trade relations and more texts on anti-Semitism made by Iran and so on. Okay, so thank you very much that you've been here and yes, I hope there will be one day of free Iran.
Tschüss. Beide.